On today's show, on episode 100 of the Sunday Night Army podcast, special guest, Carol Baskin. Welcome to the Sunday Night Army podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and thank you for joining me on episode 100. It's been a journey. It's been 100 episodes of interesting people, stories, music, and all the other cool stuff. And it's only just beginning. And today it's going to be no different. It's going to be a special episode. Uh, By now you know who the guest is. And I appreciate you joining me for this uh, 100th episode out of 46 plus countries that stream the show. Anybody who follows me on social media everywhere on the Sunday Night Army, so at Sunday Night Army everywhere, or at the Sunday Night Army uh, on all social media, and just search for the Sunday Night Army anywhere you stream podcasts, follow, subscribe, support the show. Everything helps. Uh, The more listens, the better. And I'm not going to disappoint you with episode 100. Episode 100 right now, it's going to be something different. By different, I mean... I have a guest, as you've seen in the preview of the show, that has been extremely popular. And and, and I don't know if you know me and you know my show and you know I like two sides of the story. And this is one of those episodes because uh, my guest today, Carol Baskin, and for those who don't know, um, came to... Uh, the uh, spotlight through the Netflix series, one of the biggest at this time last year, called Tiger King. And now, Tiger King was insanely popular. Yes, I watched it. Yes, watched binged on the whole season uh, through quarantine last year, and it was a show. It, w- it was a very interesting show. Um, I don't think you put a label on it, good or bad. It was just interesting. Very interesting. It's one of those shows you just couldn't stop uh, watching because you didn't know what was happening, what was going to happen, or how it would all eventually end. And one of the main characters in on the show was today's guest. Now, let's be honest. Everybody has an opinion on the show. We all have an, an idea of uh, of what really happened, but nobody really knows except for the people involved. Now, all judgments aside, this show is an open book. I like to have everybody come in, say their thing. I always have my opinions, but I'll let everybody come in and have their say. And no different with today's show. And my door and my invitation was open, and uh, Carol decided to join me on the show. And we we will get to a lot of different things uh, during this episode. And it's it's up to you guys to get whatever you want out of it. Now, will we talk about Tiger King? You'll have to listen. How much do we uh, do we get out of uh, her experiences? You're going to have to listen. Um, what I do know, and I can tell you right now through the interview, it's going to be very educational. You're going to learn a lot of things that you probably didn't know about uh, Carol and what she does and why she does it. So in, in, in that aspect, is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. And I found it extremely interesting 
don't get me wrong we can talk about tiger king all day but it's getting to know the people that come on the show the guests that uh most of the time is the most interesting part and and again this episode does not disappoint it's great and this is why it's episode 100 on the sunday night army so let's not waste any more time let's get to the interview so right now on the sunday night army i'd like to bring in my guest for today it is the CEO of Big Cat, Big Cat Rescue, Carol Baskin. How are you today, Carol? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. That is tremendous because I know you have an amazing following on uh, online and you have a giant channel and you're so much into the cats. And I really appreciate you coming and uh, just telling us all about it on the Sunday Night Army. Well, thank you for having me. Now, Big Cat Rescue. I think we should start at a quick history of the actual the actual place itself. How did you get started with Big Cat Rescue? I actually left home at the age of 15, and I started doing bobcat rehab and release when I was 17. So that's when a bobcat gets hit by a car or mm-hmm. shot by a hunter or poisoned. They, the vet can fix them up in 30 minutes or so, but then it can take months for them to be able to recover from a broken leg or whatever it is before they can go back into the wild. So I had been doing that since I was 17. And in 1992, I was 31 years old. I was at an exotic animal auction and we were buying llamas because my late husband and I were in real estate for a living and we would turn the llamas loose on big tracts of land because they eat high into the trees. So they would like clear an entire area and then we'd move them to another big track. So that's why we were at this exotic animal auction. This guy came in with a bobcat that was about six months old. She was scared out of her mind. She was like nestled in around his neck. And he said his wife didn't want her anymore because she wasn't fun anymore. Cause once they get to be about six months old then they start biting and spraying and doing all the things <laughs> like growing up to be a bobcat. And the guy next to me started bidding on her. And so I leaned over and I said, man, when that cat grows up, she is going to tear your face off. And he said, I'm a taxidermist. I'm just going to club her in the head in the parking lot and make a den decoration out of her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I had about that same reaction, except I was bawling my eyes out. So my husband started bidding and we probably paid more for that bobcat than anybody's ever paid for a bobcat, but she was not going to die in the parking lot that day. And we brought her home, but the people that had had her before us had declawed her. So she couldn't be set free. Plus she was from a different state. So she couldn't be set free in Florida. And so she was as expected, a really horrible pet. And she was beating up our German shepherd and chasing my husband and my daughter around the house and just terrorizing everybody. And so my husband started calling around looking for somebody who would sell us a a mate for her. And this guy said, I'll sell you a kitten to raise up with her, but you've got to come here in person. So we drove up to Minnesota. And when we got there, there's just this metal shed and you go inside, there's no sign or anything outside that says anything about this. And this guy starts pulling these cats out of these absolutely wretched, tiny wire cages that were just caked with fur and feces and rotting food. And he's showing us all of these kittens. And I said, is there this big of a market for these guys as pets? And he said, oh, no, this is a fur farm. And when they get to be a year old, we'll slaughter them for their fur. 
And over in the corner, I saw a whole bunch of adult cats that they had just killed. And they just take that little piece of belly fur, that white fur with the spots on it. That's Mm -hmm. what you see on fur coats and Mm -hmm. trim and such. And so I started crying and my husband said, how much for every cat here? And we came home with 56 bobcats and lynx. So that's how the sanctuary started in 1990. That was 1993. So we got Windsong in 92, the 56 cats in 93. And then the next year, 28 cats off a fur farm. And the following year, 22 off another fur farm. And by this time, we had gotten all of the cats out of all of the fur farms in the United States. And we started working on the fur farms in Canada. But people started calling and saying, would you take my lion? Would you take my tiger? And I'm thinking, what on earth are people doing with lions and tigers in their backyard? This is crazy. (laughs) And just like with the bobcat issue, I thought, you know, this is a problem that's easy to fix. I'll just buy these cats, get them out of this horrible situation. I'll put them in pet homes and it'll all be done. And I was naive. All of those cats started coming back to me as soon as they were adults. And so I realized that nobody was willing to live with a bobcat in their house long-term or in their yard and that that wasn't going to work. And then same thing with the lions and tigers. I thought, how hard could that be to fix, right? I mean, surely there should be some kind of law against this. And there wasn't. And so since about 1998, I've been working on federal legislation to ban the private possession of big cats and Primarily, what we find is the thing that's driving most of the abuse is what you guys saw in Tiger King, if you watched it, where they're constantly breeding lions and tigers and ligers, using the cubs for people to pay to have their pictures made with them Uh from about the time that they're eight weeks until they're about 12 weeks. So they have about a one month shelf life. After that, they become a huge liability. It costs us $10,000 per year per cat just for food and vet care, not any of the overhead of the sanctuary. So as soon as they can't use them for photo ops because they can take a finger off a child by the Mm -hmm. time they're 12 weeks old, that's when they dump them into backyards and basements and private ownership. And in some cases, worse things like the illegal trade in their parts or their bones and their teeth and their skins. And so the only way that we're ever going to stop the flood of these cats into this industry is through legislation. And that's why it's been such an important part of what we do here at the sanctuary is to educate people about the need for the bill to actually get them to contact their member of Congress to support the bill. And we expect this year that that bill will finally pass. And so this whole problem will wind down. There won't be a bunch of big cats being bred and discarded and we can close our doors and be done. We'll still do rehab and release because there's always going to be cats getting hit by cars, but there's just no reason why all of these other big cats should ever be born for life in a cage. Mm-hmm. So before the legislation gets uh, in this year, obviously Big Cat Rescue has been extremely positive as an impact. The sanctuary has been very positive for these animals. And uh, so how big is the property and what do you, how, these, how do these animal, animals benefit when they're there? What do you do? You know, one of the biggest misconceptions I think in Tiger King was that sanctuaries and zoos are the same thing. They tried really hard to make it look like Big Cat Rescue was no different than the GW Zoo. And there couldn't be anything more (laughs) different than a sanctuary and a zoo. Zoos are in the business of buying, breeding, selling, um, displaying the animals off-site sometimes like at malls or rodeos or fairs and charging people to have contact with them in a very limited number of places. 
most of your big accredited zoos don't allow that, but it's just these little backyard roadside zoos that do. Uh Sanctuaries, on the other hand, I mean, our very mission requires that we have no buying, no breeding, no selling, no taking the animals offsite for public display and absolutely no contact with them. So we're absolute opposites of this industry. And yet because of Tiger King being the only exposure people have, they don't understand that there's such a huge difference. So the cats who come to Big Cat Rescue, initially we bought those cats off of the fur farm, but as as we learned, because back then there was no internet, we didn't know any different. And as we've learned over the years, what we require is if somebody wants to dump an animal here, we won't buy it from them. We don't want to give them a reason to go out and do something stupid and then be able to profit off of it. Uh And we don't want to become a dumping ground for these people that are exploiting the cubs. If we just take the cubs every year when they can't use them anymore and we take on the burden of their lifetime care, we're enabling that bad behavior. So when somebody wants to dump an animal on us, they have to actually contract with us to never own another exotic animal. And so the huge difference, you know, after philosophy between zoos and sanctuaries is how the animals are treated. So in zoos, people want to see an animal. They expect when they pay their $10 that they're gonna get to see those animals. And so they're forced to be in places where they can be viewed. Most exotic cats don't want to be around people. And so in sanctuaries, we give them a lot more space than certainly more space than what you saw in Tiger King. They only showed our little feeding lock boxes Mm -hmm. there, but we have thousands of square feet that each cat can go into the bushes, they can go back into the woods, they can go into their dens, they can go wherever they want to be away from people. So you can come out here for a tour for an hour and a half and see two of our 51 cats because they just are like, yeah, I don't think so. And we're not going to make them do it. And no legitimate sanctuary would make them be out on display. So there's a huge difference in the way the animals are treated. We're on 67 acres to answer your question. And we had, I said 52 cats, but one of them was a rehab bobcat. She just got released. So we're down to 51 now. Now you answered part of uh, uh, actually what I was going to ask next, because um, comparing uh, what you do to a zoo and I have, and I've been to, and I hate all of them personally, because I have a drive-through zoo, not too far, or one of the biggest here in Canada, not too far away from me. I've been to that a few times. Um, there's quite a few smaller ones and I've been to one of the major ones here in well, my province where I'm, um, where I reside now c- condition wise just did not appeal to me and I'm never going to go back, but, uh, you kind of explained how you get, how you compare to actual zoos. Now, do they ever reach out? Do you have zoos ever reaching out? Like we can't handle this anymore. Can you please take this animal? The only time that we have taken animals from a zoo was a very good zoo in the U.S. called the Henry Henry Dorley Zoo. And they're one of the few zoos that actually does, um, some of the animals that are there are actually animals who were injured in the wild who couldn't be released, like maybe a bird that couldn't fly or Uh um, three-legged animal that couldn't hunt or couldn't stay away from predators. So they provide that service. But what they had decided to do was a lot of these zoos, even the better ones, the cages were built like back in the 70s. And back then people had no understanding of the sentience of animals. And so they were just jail cells. Uh-huh. And so what they decided to do was to tear down their entire cat house. Is what it was. It was like this indoor outdoor prison. 
Um, they would tear the whole thing down and turn it into just a few really huge enclosures for just a, a very limited number of cats. And they had two cats that they were willing to send to a sanctuary because they didn't want them to end up someplace that they would end up being bred or um, put on display where they couldn't hide because these were cats that one of them was very dangerous, the other one was very shy. And so those cats came to us with the understanding that one of the things that zoo does is they help us a lot when it comes to going to court and testifying about how all of these really horrible roadside zoos are not providing the kind of stimulation that the animals need, that they're not providing the kind of diets that they need. So they've become a helper for us in this movement to uh -huh. end the captivity of big cats. So in that case, we didn't require that they not have the cats that they kept, but uh, that's the only exception that we've made for a zoo to keep their animals. I think you and I probably share the same philosophy. I don't think any zoo is a good thing for a big cat. I can't really say about other animals because I don't know how those animals feel, but I know how big cats feel. If you open uh -huh. the door, they're walking away <laughs> and they're <laughs> never going to look back. So that tells me they don't want to be there. And so um, I think one of the most exciting things that we're working on is virtual reality and augmented reality and doing things where people are actually brought into the world where those cats live in the wild. Uh -huh. And they can do that either through a headset or at a zoo without the necessity of holding a wild cat ca captive. That's my ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what turned it once for me was when I uh, went to uh, the Toronto Zoo, which is a really big one here. And I saw, uh, and it was, I think about a hundred degrees out middle of the summer and they had polar bears in um, just out uh, running around and well, not, not running around, they were, they were suffering. They were laying down close to the water, not doing anything because it was a hundred degrees out. So from that yeah. moment, I'm not, I wouldn't step foot in a zoo ever again. Now, uh, current state of big cat rescue, just because we're in, in COVID for the past year and a half, how has that affected you? It was a, a perfect storm for us because the only way that we have visitors is on guided tours, which is different from um, zoos where you just yeah. have people wandering around annoying the animals all day. Uh -huh. For our tours, people would come in for an hour and a half. We have a tour guide walking around telling you the individual stories of these animals, where they were rescued from, about their, you know, their needs in the wild, why they don't belong in cages. And then at the end of that tour, we take you back into the gift shop and actually strong arm people to contact <laughs> their member of Congress and ask them to support the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which is a bill that would end the cub petting and phase out private possession and thus ultimately put us out of business is what we want. And so people were doing that. We've gotten thousands upon thousands, I mean, tens of thousands of people to make that call to Congress by doing that. And one day a year, we would have this big event. So that's what people saw in Tiger King is one day a year, we would have anywhere from 500 to 600 people come out for a one day, three hour event. And we'd have 70 of our own volunteers that would make sure those people didn't get in trouble or didn't you know, annoy the animals. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was about a third of our income came from tours. And so we have to raise between three and a half million and $4 million a year to take care of the animals that we have. And so on March the 15th of last year, because of COVID, we decided it was too dangerous to expose our keepers to guests. And so we closed our gates. And then on March 20th, Tiger King came out and there were so many people who believed the lies that they were told in Tiger King 
They believed that our cats were being kept in those tiny little boxes. They believed that I killed my husband. You know, they believed all of this stuff and they were threatening to burn the place down and to kill all of the cats. And so for both of those reasons, COVID and all of the crazies that it unleashed in Tiger King, mm -hmm. we couldn't allow the public onto the property. So we're still closed to the public and that is costing us a million dollars a year because we don't have that revenue. So that's why I've done things like Dancing with the Stars and mm -hmm. cameos and licensing agreements, everything I can possibly think of to keep mm -hmm. the money coming in to take care of the animals. Now, you also educated me and uh, because I, I'm also trying to learn uh, more about my guests when they come on and the topics that I know nothing about. And it's kind of uh, one of the last questions that, um, that I really wanted to get into is the process of moving cats into the wild. Now, again, this is coming from someone who has no idea how things work. And what percentage of uh, the cat population do you get that are rehabbed and released to the wild, if that is at all possible? You know, that was one of the biggest things that I realized when people started calling me after Tiger King and making posts online mm -hmm. was that most people don't understand that a, a wild cat that has been born in captivity, it's illegal to release them. There is no way that you can take a cat who was born in a cage and turn it loose in the wild. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is they have to be raised by their mother. Their mothers would spend, some of them would spend three or four years, five years sometimes in the case of a tiger, teaching their cubs how to survive on their own and you know how to stay away from people and all of those kinds of things. But there's also the issue of them not being native these tigers and lions that are born in the United States are native now because they were born in cages here. And the only places they exist in the wild are places like India and Russia. And so you can't take a cat born in Ohio and go release it in Russia. They're not going to let you do that. It's uh -huh. not legal. And that cat wouldn't be able to survive because it didn't have its mother training it. In fact, as you saw in Tiger King, they have to take the babies away almost the minute they're born. Because if they spend even a couple of weeks with the mother, she will make them like feral cats and you can't handle them when they're scratching and biting and hissing and carrying on like maniacs. Uh -huh. And so that's why they take them away so young and never let them go back to their mothers. So it, you know, and a lot of these people would, um, that were calling me and saying they wanted to burn the place to the ground and kill the cats. They were saying with, when I'd ask them, you know, why would you want to do that? They'd say, because these animals don't belong in cages and you need to set them free. And I realized people didn't understand that it's not legal for any of these cats who were born in cages to go free. The only cats that we can ever release back to the wild are the ones who were born in the wild. And so the work I've been doing since I was 17 and the cat we just released a couple days ago, Angel, the bobcat, those were cats that were born in the wild, got into some trouble, were able to rehab and release them and send them back. And I think we've done that for something like, I don't know. Um, I know it was over 40, but I'm thinking it might be as many as 70. I, I didn't think to look up that number before I came today to talk to you, but it's been a, a good number of cats. We usually get anywhere from four to six bobcats per year that ended up in trouble in the wild that we can then put back into the wild. The only ones of those who ever don't go back to the wild are cats who we've had two of them where their pelvis had been crushed when they got hit by the car so badly that even though it healed well enough for them to walk, 
they couldn't pass fur or bones if they ate it. So mm. they had to be on a soft food diet. And there's no way you can tell a bobcat, no, you just go out there and only eat frogs. <laughs> Don't eat anything with fur or feathers or it's going to kill you. Um, so they've had to spend the rest of their lives in cages, unfortunately. Mm. But every chance we get on the native born cats, we want to get them back out to the wild as quickly as we can. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Now, uh, to get more information like that. Now, tell me more about Big Cat TV. You know, when we started the sanctuary, we could only afford three paid people. And I decided that we needed one person to manage volunteers. We have 88 volunteers who take care of our 51 cats. And they do that for free. But they need somebody managing them to make sure mm -hmm. there's enough coverage every day and that there's going to be you know plenty of people to feed and to clean and to do all the enrichment that we do um and so we had a operations manager who managed the volunteers we had a gift shop manager because you've got to have an income coming in so selling t-shirts and hats and that sort of thing to help support the cats and then the third person that i hired was a videographer and everybody was like, you know, you're the boss there. You should pay yourself. And I didn't pay myself for 20 years. I felt like the important thing was to get the message of the cats out there to the public. And a videographer was the best way to do that. And so now we have two videographers, even though after COVID-19, I had 22 staff at that time. And I had to let a dozen of them go. And it meant we had to really cut back on a lot of the things we were doing as far as outreach programs and our public relations person. And uh, we were doing a lot of work with domestic cats and kittens for the Humane Society. So I had to let all of those people go. And those of us who are left behind are working twice as hard at least to continue to do the jobs that we're doing. But I kept two videographers. One does a regular video every week on bigcattv.com. And then the other one is doing a 3D 180 video. So if you're looking at it on a flat screen, like your phone, you can like hold your phone up and move it around the room and see all around in uh -huh. some cases 360, in most cases 180. But the main purpose of having that videographer is because I think that's going to be the future for big cats. And what she, the main way to consume her videos, and she does one a week as well, is to put on a headset. Are you a gamer? Yes. So you know what it's like to be in a virtual world mm -hmm. or to be in a 3D video where that animal feels like it's right there with you. You feel like when it's breathing, you can feel that on your skin practically. Mm -hmm. And you can look all around the enclosure that the animal is in and see what their world looks like from their perspective. And that's where I think the future is for the way people learn about big cats. People have said for years that the only way that we can get people to learn about wildlife is to have them in cages where they can go see them because they're never gonna to go to India or to the Himalayas or to Brazil to see these cats in the wild. But I don't think that, I, I think that sends actually the worst message we could possibly send to our children to say, it's okay to take away the freedom of this magnificent wild animal because you deserve to be able to see it up close since you can't afford to go to see it in the wild. I, I think that's the worst thing we could possibly teach a child. But imagine being able to come home at the end of the day, put on your headset and click the button to go to the Himalayas and there is a live 
3D, 180 degree, maybe even 360 degree. I think that technology is coming very soon where mm -hmm. you can get that 3D experience and it's streaming live. So, you know, there's you've probably, most people have probably seen a trail cam image of a cat walking past a, a trail cam. And you're always like, well, you know, where did it come from? And where was it going to? Mm -hmm. well, and that 3D experience inside of a headset you can look all around, you can see, oh my gosh, here comes some prey animal running through here like mad. And so you're looking in the distance to see what's coming behind it. And sure enough, here comes a snow leopard coming in leaps and bounds after that prey. And mm -hmm. you get to see and experience that entire uh, magnificent dance of life in real time from these cameras that will be streaming everywhere. And by doing that kind of wildlife viewing, cameras break down all the time. We have live webcams everywhere here at the sanctuary. They are always breaking down. And mm -hmm. so that provides jobs to the people who live where those cameras are to constantly be keeping the lenses clean, to make sure that they're sending and transmitting the way they should, to make sure they're positioned in the best places where these animals travel paths. And it also gives them a huge incentive to protect every bit of the beautiful tapestry of nature in their realm, because the more of that kind of experience they can share with the world, the more ad revenue they can share in from the people that'll pay for advertising on that channel. Right. And so it creates a incentive for people to protect these animals and gives the person viewing them an insight as to who that animal really is. A cat in a cage is just a shadow of who they are in the wild. It's nowhere near as educational as seeing them in real time. Yeah, definitely, and it's good to see that you're already, or you're planning already far ahead for what's uh, for what might happen, and that there is a future where everyone can experience this uh, from home which is great. Now, speaking of from home, how can my audience and where can they follow you and uh, just keep track of what's going on with Big Cat Rescue. We're on all of the social channels as Big Cat Rescue. Um, you can go to our website at bigcatrescue.org. If you have a Oculus Rift, you can find the Big Cat Rescue VR game. It's a game about saving tigers in the wild where you are taught how to track a tiger in the wild. You discover that a tiger has been snared by poachers and you are the one who is the hero of the day to go in and release that tiger back to the wild. Um, that game will be available very shortly for the other headsets. It's Well, it's already available on Steam, mm -hmm. but it'll be available, I hope, in the new Oculus App Lab. We just submitted it there. So any of the Oculus headsets, you should be able to see it in that um, arena. And then we also are very involved in augmented reality zoos where there aren't any animals. There's just huge posters of beautiful animals that when you point your phone to them, they leap to life. And so we have a lot of stuff going on over at arzoo.com. Well, that's really cool. Well, there's a lot of places to go and see. Carol, I appreciate you coming and talking to me here on the Sunday Night Army. It's been very informative and I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, Jacob.